Hello. What is God up to? This was the article um, in the Christian magazine. 24 different Christian leaders sharing the highs and lows of lockdown. People like Ben Benjamin, who was the former president of the Baptist Union, Philip Hanna, Jay John, R.T. Kendall, um, Justin Welby, Pete Gregg and Rachel Gardner, um, Marilyn Baker and many, many others all share um, what is God up to in these really strange times? I wonder if that's a question that you've been asking yourself. What is God up to? Is God doing anything? I wonder whether that's a, a, a question you've ever asked yourself pre-lockdown or during lockdown. It seems like God is silent uh, and maybe he is. It reminds me of that time when I my children were in another room and they were very quiet. And it was often when they were quiet that they were actually up to something. Now, maybe we feel God is silent, but it doesn't mean God isn't up to anything. I suppose the question needs to be reversed as well. What are we up to? I wonder whether this is a question that was asked um, in the days of Jesus. I guess it was asked before that particularly when they were, um, you know, in captivity uh, and then the Roman Empire started to take over and they were living under the Roman um, imperialism. I guess they would have asked the question, what is God up to? And then when Jesus comes along uh, and they're claiming him to be the Messiah, is he? What is going on? I suppose it depends what group you find yourself in to whether you are asking the question, what is God up to? I guess like then, as it is today, some people are asking the question, what is God up to? Um, and some people say, I'm not too sure what God is doing and whether God is doing anything. And some people don't even really care. I wonder what group you are in today. I wonder whether you are asking the question, what is God up to? I wonder whether you're going to reverse that question and say, what am I up to in a time such as this? Mark chapter 11 is a great chapter to challenge the way we think. I think COVID-19 is a wonderful opportunity for us to rethink how we are being and doing church. Not to say that COVID-19 is a blessing from God by any stretch of imagination, but it must and it is calling us, I believe, I passionately believe that it's calling us to think outside the box. So I'm embracing this period that we've got and I'm inviting you to embrace it with me. Grab yourself an A4 piece of paper and I'm going to give you a little exercise to do in preparation for the conclusion of our time together. So grab an A4 piece of paper again like you've done before but this time put nine dots similar to this on your piece of paper. And I want you to draw four lines, unbroken lines on these dots and join them all up without breaking the line. Four straight lines to connect all of these dots. You may have done it before. I've done it many times and I still had to think hard about what I was doing. As we look at this passage, chapter 11 of Mark's gospel, we are invited to rethink how we approach life and church because something had gone wrong 
and Jesus enters the city. This is Jesus in the city, right in the heart of it. And we're going to get right in the heart of it as we um, are read, have read to us verses 1 to 11. I invite you to come on a journey with me and think outside the box. And as you hear the scriptures, prior to it, ask the Lord, Lord, speak something new into my life from at least one verse. So let's pray that now before we go into the reading and the teaching. Lord Jesus, we open ourselves up to the mystery and the wonder of your word and we invite you now to speak something fresh and beautiful into our lives from at least one verse. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. As they approached Jerusalem, and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Okay, thank you for that reading. So here we have it. Jesus is at last week, his first day of the last week uh, in the Passover. We know it now as Palm Sunday. Capture this for a moment. Jesus sends his disciples in to go and get the cult that's not ever been ridden. I wonder how that would sound in the 21st century. Jesus telling his disciples to go into the city, find the car that's never been driven, Get the keys and bring it to me. And if anybody stops you, just tell them the Lord wants it. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just walking into the car showroom. I'm going to take that car. Why? Because the Lord told me to. Uh, the Lord needs it. So off you go, drive it. I wonder what sort of car it would have been if it was written in the 21st century. Would it be a Mercedes? Would it be a Ferrari? Would it be a Porsche? Would it be a BMW? Would it be a Rolls Royce? My guess is it would be something like a Robin Reliant. Now, for those of you that do not know what a Robin Reliant is, check out Only Fools and Horses, Del Trotter's um, three-wheeler motor vehicle, a yellow van. If you've ever driven one or ever been transported in one and survived it, you are very fortunate. They are death traps on wheels. But imagine that. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on the most humblest symbol of transport you could ever imagine. 
this was a triumphal entrance. A triumphal entrance. The only the only comparison I can give for me ever getting a triumphal entrance is when I was in Uganda and visited a, a um, North uh, Uganda, a place called Northeast Uganda, called a place called uh, uh, Misindi, a village called Misindi. We went there to do some ministry and mission work, taking healthcare and bringing the word to people. And we arrived from a long journey and we got out of a scorching hot day. The pastor walks off, who's, who's, who's sort of accompanying us. It's his church that we're going with. And there's seven of us in, the, in our team and he goes off and we're hanging around not knowing what to do. And I get bored very easily. So I go off for a little walk. A couple of the team follow me, the, the youth that came with us. Um, we went into a village, had a Coke and chilled out with a few people and then came back and there was no one there. Where we left off, we returned some three or four hours later and nobody was there. So we made our way up to the church, which is a mud hut building. And as we approached the church, there was this entourage of people waiting. The whole congregation were waiting for us, some 100 plus people. And they were um, waving banners and, and laying down cloaks and, and garments um, and plants and leaves and putting sort of bouquets around us and, and saying, welcome our bishop, welcome our bishop. I'm going, no, 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 I'm not the bishop. My pastor, he's, I don't know where he is, but he's somewhere else. Oh, we welcome him. And they just wouldn't have it. I, most of it, I guess they didn't understand the language. So there's a barrier there, but they welcomed us in the church. The church was jam-packed. There were seven chairs at the front and it was just me and the two young people that followed me. And they were laughing at me and I'm trying to tell them, no, we've got to wait for the pastor. And they sat me down, they sang, they danced. In the end, I just went with it and I just danced and jigged with them. And then I had to give a speech and a word of encouragement. I hadn't prepared it. I'd come unprepared. But by the grace of God, he provided me with some words. So that's the closest I can get to this wonderful entrance this welcome entrance and Jesus gets this welcome entrance because people believe God is going to do something God has been silent for too long and now it's going to happen now picture this Jesus comes in as a hero in, and receives a triumphal entrance on the opposite side the west side um, Caesar would have been coming in uh, Pontius Pilate would have been coming in with his uh, entourage of soldiers on a white stallion. This is a, 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 com a complete contrast, and it's and it's echoing the 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 prophecy from Zechariah, which says in verse uh, nine and ten of chapter nine, "Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem!" Lo, your king comes to you, humble and riding on a donkey, a symbol of peace. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The contrast between a donkey and a war horse, a white stallion. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is the moment they've been waiting for. This is the point of the height of Jesus' ministry. The first 10 chapters were displaying a servant king. And now this 
entering into Jerusalem, the um, the point of why he was called to be the saviour of the world. Hosanna to the king of David. Hosanna means uh, save. Hosanna, save us. He is here to save us from Rome and from everything else that we don't like, everything else that isn't godly. Thank you from the religiosity and, and all the rest of it. And Jesus enters in in this wonderful way that is really out of the box of the norm. God had this wonderful plan and he's putting it into action and it's really happening. Wow. Who would have thought it that a, a warrior, Jesus is seen as a warrior. Warriors were seen of people um, receiving that kind of triumphal entrance because they've slayed uh, at least 5,000 enemies. Now, Jesus has just been raising the dead and blessing the, the poor and, and healing the lame. And he's receiving this royal welcome, this triumphal entrance. Uh, and, and, and it's completely different to what everyone understood. God thinks outside the box. The point, the, the text I got from this, the, the verse I got was verse 11, which I want to close this section on before we move on to the next one. Um, Jesus went to the temple, verse 11, went to Jerusalem and looked around the temple and he looked at everything. The Bible says, verse 11, Jesus looked at everything. This is the first day he, he went up to Mount um, Mount of Olives and he was hanging out around there and he popped down just before the evening just at the evening approaches and each of the gospels um, recalls something of this John's gospel if you read it from the NIV it's just two words the shortest verse in the bible Jesus wept if you look at other verses it might um, other um, translations it'll say Jesus began to weep and and Luke and, and Matthew record this Matthew um, is hi highlighted lament over Jerusalem Jesus laments over Jerusalem verse 37 of chapter uh, 23 oh Jerusalem Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to to it how often would I have gathered your children together as a as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing see your house is left to you desolate for I tell you you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord this was echoes of Psalm 118 coming here again prophecy fulfilled in Luke's gospel uh, chapter 19 verses 41 it says and when he drew near and saw the city he wept over it he wept over it this is the day that the people of Israel were waiting for and they didn't get it they've been asking what is God doing and they missed the very day a, a guy called Dr Robert Anderson who was a former Scotland Yard a detective had worked out the exact time apparently of um, when Daniel prophesied when it was prophesied in the book of Daniel about when this time would come some 500 years later he'd got the exact date apparently he'd worked it out and this day the 6th of April in the first century uh, was the day very specifically prophesied probably one of the only times of exact specific dates that we can really try and uh, pin ourselves to and they still didn't get it. 
they hadn't looked at what was going on. So I invite you for a short moment before we go on to the next text to sit and contemplate on these questions and and hopefully, if um, I, I'm not too sure we're going to get this done, but if it is, there should be some some um, questions coming up on the screen and um, and the verse. He had looked around at everything. I want you to, as you look at these images that come up of the church, our church, your church, and of the city of Peterborough, I want you just to look at everything and ask God, what do I need to see? What is going on? And how do I need to respond to that, Lord? Okay, so the next section section is about this cursing of the fig tree. Um, it's day two. Jesus returns now back to the city um, and he's entering in towards and um, we'll get back to that in a moment. But for now, he sees a fig tree and he curses it because it's got no figs on it. It says that he was hungry. I guess he had no breakfast. I guess that he was literally hungry. But there's some another hidden message here, isn't there? Because he really was referring to the fact that the fig tree should have had its first fruits in order to have its um, later fruits, its bigger fruits, its better fruits. But it hadn't. So therefore, um, it was it was pointless. It, it was it was going to produce nothing. And we later hear that it withered. We know that. Uh, and the disciples point that out. And Jesus is making a point here that. Israel isn't producing fruit. It's not producing the first fruit, so it's unlikely to produce greater fruit. In fact, he was actually saying it, it is as good as dead. They've lost what it means to be the movement people of God. They are not growing. You see, healthy things grow. When you plant something and you look after it and it gets watered and it gets nurtured, it grows. Now, we each have a responsibility for our own spiritual growth. Today, as I engage with other church leaders, they talk more about discipleship now and working with those who really want to be engaging in uh, growing as a servant of God. What's your fruit like? Have you grown over this last few months? Many people have had the opportunity to spend more time with God. Some haven't. Some have got as busy as ever. But that's going to be the rhythm of life. 
Your spiritual growth is more important than anything else. Recently, I said that five things that um, contribute to making us human. And the one that we neglect more than anything is our spiritual development. Your spiritual development is your responsibility. But together, we grow better. So where are you in your spiritual journey? Have you found that rhythm for you in a time such as this? Are we as a church growing? What does it mean for us to grow? What things should we be thinking about and discussing and sharing and praying about? How hungry are you for God's glory to come? Because one of the things I think Jesus is saying to us in here is that as he enters into Jerusalem and he gets this wonderful entourage and this wonderful um, triumphal um, reception, he knows that it's going to get tough. He always knows it's going to get tough. And when it gets tough, you have people start to fall away. And my guess is, from what I'm talking to other church leaders, there's a lot of people that have drifted away because they don't feel they need to attend church anymore and they can dip out on the online services. And that's fine. The Bible says you are able to do anything. Paul says everything is permissible, but is it beneficial? Now, I'm not trying to get people into a guilt trip to attend online services. My concern is, what does it mean for you to grow as beautiful as God can see? And if you're feeling dried up, you've got to ask yourself, what am I hungry for? Am I hungry for the fruits that come from heaven? Or am I after something else? Have you lost your hunger? for receiving what God has got for you. Before we go on to the next section, just pause for a moment and ask yourself that question. Am I growing? Do I want to grow? Am I hungry for what God has for me? God has a spiritual diet for each and every one of us that will cause us to keep running towards him, to drink and to feed from him. God wants to bless you like you've never been blessed before. Just take a few moments before we move on to the next section. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 19, New International Version. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area 
and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. So what verses have captivated you so far? I've had two verses. Verse 11, uh, Jesus went to the temple and looked at everything. I'm encouraging us as a church to look at our church, to look at our city, to look at our community and ask, God, what do I need to see? What do you see? And how can I respond to what you see and what you would love me to do and be a part of the second one was Jesus was hungry are you hungry for the things of God or have you got lost in the in the busyness and the demands of everyday life so easily done have you lost the hunger for the spiritual nourishment that comes from heaven now Jesus enters into the temple on this day two. This is day two now, and he's not happy. He he knew what it was like before today. He was there the day before, and now he's come in to address it, to confront it. And he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priest and the scribes uh, kept looking for ways to kill him because they were afraid um, of the crowd being spellbound by this new teaching, this this unfamiliar way, this out of the box thinking. What was God doing? What is God up to with this man, the carpenter they call Messiah? Jesus is bringing a transformation in the house of God, his father. What are we doing about bringing transformation into the house of God? What do we not see that God sees? Jerusalem was the epicenter of the prominence of God. And here, there, there seemed to be no difference between secular and sacred. You could not tell the difference what was going on in the outer courts was corruption and injustice and an unfair trade. And people were being conned by God's chosen people. Now, I don't believe anything like that is happening in um, BBC. I hope not. But there is sin. There is sin in all of our lives. We can't escape it. It's in our nature. What is sin? This is a very religious word. Let us just take a few moments on that whole idea of sin. Sin is a very Christian word um, and some of us don't like to use it, not because we don't believe in sin. Um, I know I'm a sinner. I know um, by virtue of being me uh, and, uh, and what's in me that by nature I, I'm sinful. 
Um, so what does it mean? Uh, it's transgression of divine law. What a posh phrase, a posh definition. Transgression of divine law. Sin is a state of being separate from God. It is it's a state of being that separates us from discovering something of the nature, the character, the love and the beauty of God. Sin has three main strands in us. It is about wrongfulness, um, wrongful acts and wrongful attitudes. And it is our moral nature. Sin is whatever conflicts with the character of God's excellence. God just wants the best for you and I, and he knows there is sin within us. Paul does a bit of work on this in chapter seven of Romans, which I encourage you to read at some point. But um, we are all sinners. When we are asleep, we are still a sinner. We have something in us. I can't trust myself 100%. Why? Because I know I can screw up frequently. And sometimes I only mess up a little bit and sometimes I mess up big time, not because I want to live a sinful nature. I have lived a sin filled lifestyle because I crave the things of the flesh, the things of this world. And God knows we want some of that and knows some of that can help us things of this world. But some of it is just not good for our spiritual growth, our relationship with him, because the Christian journey is not about church buildings, church um, or uh, rules and regulations or ecclesiology or, or theology or religiosity. It is about a relationship, a relationship with a God that knows the best for you. It is like, I suppose, having two nests. Have you ever come across a cuckoo? A cuckoo never builds their own nest. What they do is they go and find, uh, I think it's a thrush. I'm not great on birds. I've read this once uh, and uh, or twice maybe. And they, they, they lay their egg in the nest of the thrush and then they come back later um, again when the thrush isn't there and they, they sit on it. Um, they, 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 sorry, they lay it when the thrush isn't there and they, the mother and they come back uh, and lay it and then they go off. And then the thrush comes back and sits on the nest, sits on the eggs and hatches the eggs. And all the eggs hatch and all the thrush are tiny little ones and the cuckoo is a bigger one. And when the mother flies off to go and get the food, the worms or whatever, and, and feeds her, her little thrusts, uh, thrusts, um, uh, the big cuckoo grabs the food first and he grows bigger and the others don't grow so well and eventually chucks them out the nest. And it's a bit like that, having uh, two, um, two parts of your life in the same nest. And Paul puts it beautifully like this in Romans 8, 5 to 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set the mind of the, on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Jesus comes into Jerusalem to bring life and peace in a humble way. He doesn't try to steal or rob us. But there are thieves in the den, robbers in the den, as he says, for this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
So we have to realize that we are wrestling, we are all wrestling with sin. Now, if you're not wrestling with sin, then I guess you could be in the camp of the robbers in the den. Um, that's to Christians, not to non-Christians. Um, and what I mean by that, I mean um, we by nature are sinful and God is restoring us. I am on a journey of salvation and I'm being cleansed and I'm being brought to light and I'm discovering something of God's goodness and something of my ugliness. And I have to work that through because God wants the best for me and he knows the best for me. And it's to him I have to learn to lean. See, God's house is a place of relationship. Prayer is about relationship and it's for all nations. Verse 17, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Is your house a place of prayer? Is your house a place of peace? Is your house a place of God's presence? Is your house a place of God's uh, protection and God's provision? Is our church all of those? What are we creating in our church? John 3.18 says, Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the Son of God. To be on the journey of salvation is to believe, not to be clever, not to be smart, not to be good, but to believe. Jesus came to deal with injustice, injustice in the church and injustice in the world. So we must follow the steps of the servant king, of the suffering king, of the sacrificial king, of the king of sovereignty. So we are to enter. We cannot reach his sovereignty until we go through the journey of suffering and sacrifice. When we do that, we discover that we need help. And God is the one that can deliver us through it. Like Jesus walking into Jerusalem, God does something in us that is out of this world. Let's listen to the last part of our teaching this morning. Mark 11, 20 to 25, uh, in the New International Version, called The Withered Fig Tree. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, anyone, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Mark 11, verses 27 to 31. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. 
Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? The passage from verse uh, uh, 22 to 26, we return to the um, lesson on the withered fig tree. And the key verse here that I wanted you to hold on to, you may have picked something else, that's absolutely fine. Verse 22, have faith in God. Israel had dried up. There was no fruit and there was corruption and deception and hypocrisy and injustice in God's house, among God's people, the people that were waiting for God to do something. And he was doing something, but it wasn't the way that they intended it. And that's the challenge for us as we go forward as a church. God isn't going to do something the way you want it or the way you expect it. He's going to do the way I expect it and people like me expect it, his way, whatever that is. And some of that will be shaped by those that decide to be a part of it, to engage in it. You want to be a part of what God is doing. You want to be an influence in shaping what God is doing. Then walk into the city and look at everything. Have faith in God. You know, one of the spiritual disciplines of growth is verse 25, where whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses that is one of the beautiful spiritual releases it's there's power in the forgiveness of jesus christ and when we exercise that spiritual that heavenly uh, tool it releases us as well as others and it's our faith in god that enables us to use those kind of tools what do you pray for what is it that you really pray for I want to encourage you to think about this. Are you praying, Lord, lead me to the most difficult places in Peterborough. Lead me to the most difficult areas in my community so that I can bring something of your glory. Do something that is outside of the normal. Help me to tap into the things of heaven to bring into the, to the places of earth. Because you, Lord, think outside the box and I want to be thinking the way you think. Who would have thought it that God would take on the world through his son, Jesus Christ? Riding on a colt that hadn't been ridden against a massive army. And he did the business of warfare, the war to end all wars. There's a great film called War to End All Wars. And this is a story of the war to end all wars. And then the, the Pharisees asked, by what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus said, well, answer me this. And they couldn't answer. They were stuffed and stunned because they knew whatever answer they gave, it was going to cause problems. So they chose not to answer. So Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Verse 28. By what authority are you doing these things? Jesus has the authority 
the Holy Spirit is the power. By what authority are you living your life? By what power are you being transformed? Five verses I got from this passage. Verse 11, he had looked around at everything. He was hungry, verse 12. Verse 11, he had looked around at everything. Verse 12, he was hungry. God is hungry for transformation and he's chosen you and me to be a part of his great plan. And he says in verse 17, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. There is no difference between us and anyone. We just are on that journey of belief. And I believe there's more people out there that are looking for that belief. But I think sometimes we just get tied up on it and we try to be clever on it. We try to expect people to meet Jesus the way and where we are in our relationship. So we've got to have faith in verse 22 to trust God in all of this and to meet people right where they are and to enter into the places where Jesus needs to be. Because we come with an authority that comes from heaven. So what is God up to? I think God is stirring his church and reminding his church to think outside the box. I gave you the piece of paper at the beginning with the nine dots and I asked you to draw four lines, straight lines, without taking your pen off the paper and joining all the dots together with those four lines. It should look something like this. I'm sure you've done it before. Um, so um, you can, you know, you, oh, so I'm trying to get it right here. So we go up and we go down and we go across and we go right the way through. Oh, sorry, I'm doing it the opposite way round. Opposite way round. Thinking outside the box is what God does with those who dare to ask the right questions. What are you doing, God? How can I be a part of it? What should I be doing? What shouldn't I be doing? It's okay to decide there's things that I shouldn't be doing. Jesus came into the city and looked at everything. Are we looking at everything? This is a time of great opportunity to reflect, to review and to revisit and re-understand what it is God is doing and wants us to do and be. Let us pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, you have prepared us for a time such as this. And as we remember Jesus coming into Jerusalem, the great city, the temple of God, I myself have walked from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem on a bus. And it is a challenging journey. And I'm glad I didn't have to take every step on the tarmac and on the ground. Lord, you carry us across territory that we could never walk alone. You will lead us in a way that we could never imagine. And you will show us a way that is outside of this world, but in this world. And you will bring about change in us so that we are equipped to respond to your gospel. You will help us as a servant of Christ, to suffer for the glory of Christ, to make sacrifices for Christ so that we can encounter his sovereignty. 
that's the journey. Not many will take it, Lord. But those who take it will discover the beauty and the wonder of your heart for this world. And I pray right here, right now, Lord, if anybody is really hungry for you, that they tap in to the source of help that comes from heaven by saying, Jesus, show me the way. I receive you now, Jesus, and I will journey with you. If that's you and you want to follow that through, then please um, contact me, go into the live prayer, um, click on our link to make connection with us and we will um, be in contact with you and look forward to meeting you. Father God, I pray for your fresh anointing on the church. I pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you now. Right here, right now, as we enter into the last part of our worship, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Amen.